I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Each fortnight, we bring you a mixture of features and discussions, exploring every aspect of gardening, plant care, pest control, container ideas, growing your own fruit and vegetables, plus expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the team of horticultural advisors here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this December edition... Books to inspire and inform gardens of every level. The RHS Garden Magazine editor Chris Young gives his pick of the titles for Christmas. RHS experts answer your seasonal gardening questions. And, as always, we'll have the latest news on RHS events across our four gardens. But first, let's head outside to join the garden team to find out what's happening in RHS Garden Wisley right now. Hello there, it's uh, Andrew Salisbury here, Senior Entomologist at uh, RHS Garden Wisley. Uh, something that not all people remember to do during the winter months is that some pests are active, and that includes the mammals such as rabbits and deer. And both these pests can cause significant damage to the bark of trees. So if you do have uh, rabbits in the area, and, uh, particularly for apple trees, do make sure that the uh, bottom of the tree is protected against these pests with an appropriately sized tree guard. In the winter months, you can protect trees uh, for the coming season against a number of pests. One of those is against winter moth caterpillars, which can cause serious amounts of defoliation in the spring, particularly to fruit trees. And the way you protect your trees against these pests is to put grease bands around the trunk. These grease bands stop the, the females, which emerge in the winter months, and are wingless from climbing up the tree and laying their eggs. Therefore, you don't get the spring population of caterpillars. Important thing with the grease bands is to get them put on early in the winter and to make sure they remain sticky right the way through to about March. Another thing you can do for trees to protect them against pests in the spring during the winter months, particularly during December or January when they are completely dormant, is paint on a plant oil winter wash. What this will do is it will kill off overwintering aphid, greenfly and blackfly eggs. Therefore, you don't get the spring populations, which particularly on fruit trees can cause severe distortion of leaves. And this can be a particular problem on fruit trees. Uh, Hello, my name's Lucy Tate and I'm one of the uh, Wisley team leaders uh, looking after the herbaceous area. Um, 
Now's a great time to start your winter pruning. The leaves have all dropped from the trees and you can see their structure more clearly. Um, for your aces, where you're pruning for shape, um, if you look at the specimen in front of you and you want to take out any dead, diseased or damaged growth, um, anything that's crossing and you're really pruning for shape, as I said, um, the best thing to do is to look at the branch that is maybe dead, diseased and take it right back to the source. Um, you, you want to cut it not flush with that source but just about four millimetres above it. Don't leave a peg because that will die back and allow for disease um, and fungal spores to, to get in there. You don't want to take too much wood away because the one thing about pruning at this time of year is you're stimulating regrowth come the spring. So be, be selective, but good judicial pruning will give you a great shape for your aces next year. I'm Phil Clayton, Features Editor for The Garden. I'm just looking at a few jobs that you can do over the Christmas holidays in the garden, provided we get some decent weather, of course. One of the things I'll be doing is looking forward to hellebore flowers uh, appearing. With this in mind, I tend to go out during Christmas, usually, usually Boxing Day or something like that, and I go around and I cut off all the old foliage off my clumps of hellebores. The old leaves hide the flowers when they start to come up which is not ideal but also they can hang on to a few pests and diseases so it's good to get them sliced off and also to sort of be able to see the area around where the flowers are coming up it just helps to make the garden look a bit less cluttered and also makes it much easier to mulch the clumps of plants and to have that sort of clean soil surface mulch as the flowers come through makes them look more more appealing and also helps to feed the clumps uh, later on in the spring. Also at this time, you may start to notice the first snowdrop leaves pushing through the ground. I like to make sure that the debris around those is is cleared away. Again, really just to show the flowers off when they really start to open. Um, I've noticed already they're starting to come up in my garden. So just, just clear away any leaf litter or dying back perennials or herbaceous plants uh, just to give them a real good start. You can find more gardening tips and advice on the RHS website, rhs.org.uk forward slash gardening. Here you can also find video guides to key jobs in the garden. This month, RHS experts show how to start growing and using your own green manure. I'm Jenny Bowden, and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. At this time of year, bookshops all over the country are displaying the current crop of glossy gardening titles tempting gifts for garden-loving friends and family, or perhaps a treat for yourself. With so many to choose from, new titles and republications of enduring classics, the choice can be bewildering. We went to the Peterborough offices of the RHS's Garden magazine to talk to editor Chris Young about his pick of gardening titles, books ideal as presents, or to add to your own garden library. I'm Chris Young, editor of The Garden, the magazine for RHS members. I'm often asked, what are some of the key books to have in your gardening library, whether you're new to gardening or whether you've been doing it for a few years? And it's always really difficult because obviously it's a very personal choice. But I think most libraries would need to have at least one of the RHS encyclopedias that we do with DK. These are amazing books. They are what many people call the Bible for gardening. And uh, whether it's the A to Z of garden plants or uh, what plant where or the Encyclopedia of Garden design there are a range of encyclopedias that really give you a lot of detail a lot of considered thought and information that's authoritative and well researched and they're absolutely vital even in this internet day and age people still love flicking back to a book and getting that accurate information 
Other books which I would certainly recommend is the RHS Plant Finder, which is a brilliant tome where you look for the plant that you want to buy and it gives you the nursery details of where you can get it from. And the British specialist nurseries are an absolute vital breed that we must keep supporting in our gardening world. And the Plant Finder does that absolutely superbly. And I also think that if you're really starting a collection of gardening books, you want something personal, something that means something to you. So much of gardening is about what you feel. It's about what you discuss with other people. And so why wouldn't you want some sort of biography or opinion piece, something from the late Christopher Lloyd, or whether you have something from Carol Klein, or some people who really share their passion and their joy for gardening and wear it on their sleeve, and you can actually find the right person for you and really absorb their words, absorb their guidance, and also just get something from it, a real sort of emotional connection. So I think that would really encompass a really nice three or four books for an emerging garden library. Even though it's been a bit of a tough market in the last couple of years for gardening books, there's some really good books still coming out, and I'm going to look at some of them now. One that the RHS has published ourselves in combination with Francis Lincoln, and this is a bit of uh, self-publicity, but also I think it's very valid because it's not often that you have a flower show that's 100 years old, and the Chelsea Flower Show celebrated its centenary this year. And Brent Elliott, the RHS historian, actually wrote this book all about the 100 years of the show. And for anyone who's been regularly or just once or has only seen it on television, Chelsea is the pinnacle of the gardening year for many of us. It inspires us whether we love plants or bonsai or garden design or floristry. And also it's a very social event and shows the whole range of society, both for the RHS but also for the royals and for the different type of people who've been to the show. It's really, really well illustrated with a lot of uh, images from the RHS archives, but it really just gets across the diversity of the show, of the changing styles, both in gardens, in design, in planting, and in some of the displays in the pavilion. It's a great book, really well written by Brent, as one would expect, but also for anybody who's ever been to Chelsea, it's something to have on your bookshelf and to really celebrate what is dubbed the best show on earth. Some of the other books that we've had come into the office this year have shown a real diversity in subject matter. One of them is called The Temple of Flora, published by Tashin. And this is a really unusual book because it takes these plant portraits from a collection of plant portraits by Robert Thornton in 1799. He wanted to create a whole group of plant portraits and uh, drawings, about 70 of them, by um, some of his artists, to really show the sexual system of plant classification. And it all sounds quite meaty and dull, maybe, uh, for some people, but actually what it is, is these remarkable, beautiful drawings, slightly romantic or picturesque in feel but really trying to get this evocative nature of plants and and their systems shown. And so these artists uh, only actually managed to paint 31 of these um, portraits um, in the end, rather than the 70 that uh, Thornton had wanted. But this book revisits them, publishes them absolutely beautiful in a really big format book, and then the accompanying text and essays really celebrate why they're so important. And it's one of those books where somebody's taken just a key aspect of garden history at a certain point of time and made it really relevant and really celebrated visually in what is an absolutely beautiful book. Chris Young, editor of the RHS's award-winning The Garden magazine. Those books and many more gardening titles and gifts are available to buy from the RHS website rhs.org.uk forward slash shopping. 
Published monthly and delivered free to RHS members, The Garden magazine is packed full of garden advice, tips and features, with stunning photography and the latest garden news from around the UK. If you'd like details on how you can become a member of the RHS, just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. Another benefit of membership is free gardening advice from our expert team here at Wisley. If you're a regular listener to the RHS Gardening podcast, you'll already know that members of the advisory team join us regularly to answer your gardening questions. So let's join my colleagues now in the RHS advisory team to hear advice on some of your December questions. My name is Tony Dickerson. I'm a horticultural advisor here at the RHS at Wisley. Uh, today we're in the advisory offices and the phones will be ringing during the course of our discussions here. But uh, once again, even in uh, December, very busy time of year, lots of inquiries still coming in for, by RHS members. And I'm Helen Bostock, um, Senior Horticultural Advisor at the RHS. And I'm Jeff Denton. I'm one of the plant pathologists here and I'm based at Wisley Gardens. So let's have a little look. We've brought a question in from John Anthony and John says, how can I stop my pond from freezing this winter? (laughs) I'll be interested to hear the answer to this one. He goes on, if it does freeze, should I break the ice to allow my fish and frogs to breathe? So anybody got a pond? Uh, well, I certainly have. I, I don't tend to keep fish because it's difficult to manage a pond with fish. But of course, there'll be a whole range of other uh, wildlife and creatures actually in the pond itself. Uh, the one golden rule here is no, not to smash or break ice. Uh, it's certainly very disturbing to any wildlife. And if you do have fish, um, that's certainly something you would not want to do. Freezing a pond is going to be very much down to the weather. And if the pond does freeze hard and you're concerned about the fish one of the simplest techniques is to put a pan of warm or boiling water on top of the ice just to melt a hole or two and that certainly will help then get some oxygen in there but what about other techniques Helen? Well interestingly I heard that we don't have to worry that much apparently about oxygen under the ice Um, most garden ponds they've got enough algae and green material in there for uh, to actually be some photosynthesis which is where plants do their thing there's enough light getting through and they actually produce oxygen within the water so we don't have to worry about our wildlife under there for most ponds however like you say tony it's good i think if the pond does freeze for any length of time to melt a hole um, a part of it and that's not so much for oxygen it's actually to allow access for um, other wildlife that really values that water things like garden birds and small mammals they need to get to it for a drink um, so yeah that that's the main reason but like you say smashing the eyes not not good news for little things in there We've got an email here from Alex Hume, uh, who asks, when should I start putting food out for the birds or is it better to leave them to hunt pesty insects in the garden? Well, I can tell you that back in ooh, beginning of November, we had a little robin come up to the patio doors and was, was pecking on the doors saying, it's time now to put the fat balls out. So um, that's how you know. <laughs> but I'm sure the... the of course, yes, they, the, the birds very much need us throughout the winter. Um, so Helen is is our expert on matters such as these. So what do you think, Helen? Well, I think there are a couple of schools of thought. Um, but I think if you're going to start feeding your garden birds, um, the general advice is 
do it year round if you can because birds do have different needs at different times of the year and we've had a jolly good year for natural food sources for birds things like berries bumper crop um loads of fruit apples pears dripping from from our garden trees so um they probably won't be quite so um needy of us um certainly in the first half of winter whilst those natural food sources are available but if it does turn really cold winter's a time when especially the smaller bird species things like garden wrens and some of the smaller blue tits and things they don't have a lot of reserves so putting the fat balls out so this is um fat rich um products you don't have to necessarily buy um, anything very fancy you can just get your own suet and melt it down put it into a mold like an old um a yogurt pot or something you can put things in there to make it a bit more interesting for different bird species throw in a few uh, sort of peanuts or throw in a few um uh sunflower hearts and you'll find that those are really valued by garden birds if it does get very cold but like i say don't just suddenly turn turn that on and off when we go to through to spring um because even though the sort of next brood the the fledglings and things for in the springtime will perhaps not be needing the types of foods that we put out the seeds um their parents will still need to be keeping their energy levels up so yeah uh, i would say if you're going to start it do it for real because birds if they're going to come and visit your garden they want to make sure that they're not wasting their energy um for no reward okay this is a email we've got in from p jones from buckinghamshire and their question is, how do I stop squirrels digging up my bulbs after I plant them in autumn? Now, does anyone have any suggestions for this? Well, it does depend if they're in pots or in the ground and what kind of area you, you've got planted up. Um, I have this year got quite a few tulips planted up in pots. Tulips are one of their favourites. Tulips and crocuses, I would say, are the two favourites for for squirrels. So basically, chicken wire, chicken wire placed over the top and then um, just just bent bent round the top of the pot. Uh, that that tends to discourage them. And you can do use the same technique out in the open as well, just by pegging it down with with some wire looped over and anchoring the chicken wire down in larger areas it is more of a problem and um, perhaps Tony's got some ideas well it's it's going to be difficult in larger areas I think you just have to accept that uh, if squirrels are in such numbers that uh, you're going to lose a good number of bulbs or you're going to have to look at alternatives but certainly in containers uh, that's where you can protect them and sometimes it's a reversal Um, squirrels will sometimes seek to actually bury things in your containers acorns and so on that can be equally as destructive if you've got the bulbs growing away there beginning to shoot but uh, unfortunately uh, it's just what they do and uh, we have to enjoy them as far as we can. It may help to um, plant tulips a bit deeper. They'll tolerate being planted quite deeply, and especially with the longer stem tulips, it can also make them more sturdy uh, against wind rock as well. So perhaps we can discourage them slightly by by burying them a little more deeply. I heard that um, squirrels seem to be particularly attracted and interested in newly disturbed soil, do you think there's any benefit to maybe perhaps in containers putting a, a mulch of pebbles or something over the top? Will that discourage them, do we think? 
Well, certainly that would be an idea. Uh, I think that could be true. It's, it's like all creatures, isn't it? If, if you make things difficult for them, then uh, they're going to be less inclined. And uh, again, you, why we mentioned uh, using chicken wire or something similar, if that proves uh, futile, it may be a case of some more significant metal mesh of some sort. But uh, they can certainly be discouraged and perhaps large pebbles or even larger uh, bulbs in particular will come up through quite um, hefty mulching material so that may be well worth a try. So we've got a phone message in from Tracy Cotton she says I left my arum lily in a pot outside this summer when I brought it in I quickly realised slugs had moved in how can I get rid of them and are there likely to be slug eggs? Indoor slugs are even worse than outdoor ones. Blimey, what do we think about this? I've had that happen. <laughs> um, not so much um, slug eggs that I'd noticed, but if you suspect them, all you can really do is knock the plant out of the pot and you will see them. They're round, mm, gelatinous, sort of jelly looking, and then you can easily easily get rid of them at that point before they have a chance to actually uh, <clears throat> hatch out and uh, invade the kitchen or wherever. Um, I think people get very confused with what slug eggs look like, don't they? Because I've had a chat with a member just the other week where they'd said that they bought a plant, tipped it out and were a bit alarmed to see these little yellow balls in there. And they presumed they were told that they were slug eggs and they had to squidge them. I said, no, no, actually, this is a common misconception. Um, If the colour is yellow or orange, it's not going to be slug eggs. Um, that instead will actually be slow-release fertiliser. So that's something that's been deliberately put in the compost to help your plant. And even though there's a liquid inside when you squash them, that's what should be there. And slug eggs tend to be in a group. Slug eggs, yeah, in a group. And see-through. Usually either see-through or sort of opaque or slightly whitish in colour, but very soft and slight jelly-like feel to them. So, yeah, you won't mistake them in future. But... um, this um, is often something that people can't quite work out if something's been nibbled on an indoor plant. Most of their work is done at night. So if you're coming down to your house plant in the morning and there's a few new fresh holes in it, don't be fooled. That could be a slug or a snail. Have a look during the day, either under the rim of the pot or under the base of it. Or like Jenny says, ease it out of the pot and see if, see if it's hiding out hiding out in there so I think the only control really is to do what Helen says and actually physically look don't don't use any chemicals uh, in the house it's going to be physical removal organic organic approach and then whatever your preference for dispatch is mm. perhaps if we're talking about slugs actually in the container compost or whatever we might sort of consider a biological treatment which normally obviously you can only use it to uh, in the summer outdoors when temperatures are reasonably high indoors you may certainly find that it could be effective but uh, yeah a close inspection is perhaps uh, the best way of if uh, there's only a few pots that seems like a logical way to do it we've had a question from joan smith um, who says we've just bought a house in essex and we've heard worrying reports in the media about the problem of japanese knotweed undermining houses in the area how can i spot it if it is present in the garden what can be done to get rid of it if it is found? So, uh, Tony, this is this is one of your areas of expertise. Mm. Well, at this time of year, uh, obviously, uh, 
difficult to spot uh, a lot of weeds and so on but with Japanese knotweed you will often see the uh, canes from the previous summer's growth and maybe six seven feet high or whatever uh, dark brown in December and over the winter if you cut them across they'll be hollow down the middle uh, so that's a an easy sign next spring if you look you'll find the shoots coming from the ground the uh, leaves of Japanese knotweed are large heart-shaped the stems often are quite reddish or spotted um, probably a case of getting on the internet you should be able to uh, spot Japanese knotweed without too many problems you can dig down, but I'd be very careful there. Knotweed grows from large rhizomes and so on, but you do not really want to disturb those. So in terms of identifying uh, knotweed, there's a f- few things there. You can also go to DEFRA website, and that will give you a whole collection of photographs and images that will certainly help. Once you've done that, then the, the problem is, of course, control. And uh, Helen, what's going to be the options there? Mm, yeah, well, I think if you're thinking about buying a property with it in, it is one to question whether to go ahead with the purchase because Japanese knotweed, I'm sorry to say, is notoriously difficult to eradicate, certainly if there's quite a large infestation. Before you sign on the dotted line, I would get the property surveyed uh, to pick up on things like this. If it is identified, um, I go to a specialist um, contractor who um, has experience with removal, safe removal of Japanese knotweed. You can't just dig it up like most weeds and stick it in your household waste. I'm afraid it's classed as controlled waste. So it's usually better for a large area to get a professional in and that could get quite expensive. So get that quote in before you make a decision on purchasing the property. Um, If you've already got it, don't panic um there are ways to to kill it um in the home gardener market there's um a product which has a specific approval for japanese knotweed control it's one of the glyphosate based products which is a type of weed killer that gets down into the very heart and root of the plant but you do have to be pretty serious about it, it could take two three four years to fully get it under, under control Thanks to my colleagues in the RHS advisory team. If you have any questions you'd like to hear answered on the podcast, you can email them to us at podcast at rhs.org.uk. Remember, RHS members can contact the team by phone, email or letter for free help with any gardening queries. If you'd like details on how you can become a member of the RHS, just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. So what's happening in the four RHS gardens this December? Come to RHS Garden Rosemore on the 14th to the 15th of December between 11 and 3 and meet Father Christmas's favourite elf and the Christmas tree fairy. Listen to their spellbinding stories and join in with their magical songs before writing a letter to the great man himself, posting it in the box provided and making your own wish for Christmas. On December the 20th, come to RHS Garden Harlow Car and listen to Santa telling stories of adventure from the North Pole. Each child receives a small gift. Book now on 0845 612 1253 and quote booking reference 10570 to avoid disappointment. At Wisley, Follow a magical and enchanting story trail from the 21st of December to the 5th of January, excluding Christmas Day and New Year's Eve. Enjoy the amazing tales and silly songs of a host of curious characters. With your own special map, 
discover their secret hideouts and burrows dotted around the gardens, hidden from prying eyes for the rest of the year. Booking is not required. And at RHS Hyde Hall, enjoy bargains from Boxing Day with the Christmas sale at the Visitor Centre. Details of all these events, as always, are on the website at rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens. We're out of time on this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Jenny Bowden and the team here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.